There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. For many years, I've shared the message of Jesus with those who embrace New Age spirituality or some form of universalism, the idea that everyone is ultimately going to be reconciled to God. And quite often, the question is posed, what happens to all the millions of people who have never heard the gospel, who have never heard about the Lord Jesus Christ? And I believe that we as Christians must respond to this legitimate inquiry. And that's what I'm going to do on this episode of Revealing the True Light. First of all, let me define an important term. The question is, what happens to people who have never heard the gospel? Well, what is the gospel? The word gospel means good news. It is the quote-unquote good news that the seed of the woman, the seed or offspring of Eve, will one day crush the head of the serpent, and that the horrible invasion of darkness and sin in this world will be reversed. So the gospel, in a limited way, in a condensed way, in a prophetic way, has been preached from the very beginning when God announced to Adam and Eve that one day there would be a change in our condition. However, the fullness of the gospel was not known until Jesus came, until the incarnation took place. And from that point forward, then all the puzzle parts came into place. Who the Son of God was, how we receive him into our lives, how we receive the gift of eternal life, how we can be born again. All of these things are a part of the good news of what God will do for human beings who turn toward the truth. So the question is, what happens to people who have never heard about these things, who have never heard that Jesus is the Savior of all humanity? Well, let me establish something very important right here at the beginning. God is just. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. That says the same thing two ways. First of all, all of God's ways are just. He is a God of justice. And then it says he's a God of truth without injustice. And so that's a double emphasis that when God deals with human beings, he does not deal with them unjustly. Now, here's the dilemma that all human beings are condemned without even knowing about it. 
If you go to that beloved passage of Scripture, John chapter 3, starting with verse 16, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. Now listen to the next part but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The complete Jewish Bible translates verse 18 this way, those who trust in him are not judged but those who do not trust have been judged already in that they have not trusted in the one who is God's only and unique son. Mark 16, 16 upholds this view. It says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So all of humanity is judged incapable of earning eternal life by works. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says, by grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Did you hear what I said? Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then James chapter 2 verse 10 says, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So even good people, if they err in one area, fall under this blanket condemnation that is over the whole human race that has separated us from God for time and also for eternity. So is there a way out of this dilemma? We know there is for those who hear the gospel, who receive Jesus, who accept him as the savior of their souls. But what about those who are never given that opportunity? This is a legitimate concern and a legitimate inquiry into the doctrinal base of Christianity. There's one loophole. There's one grace-filled loophole that seems to provide an open door of possibility to good people who have never heard about Jesus. Let's go to Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. I'm going to read it in its entirety, and then I'll go back and explain it. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Now, let me go back and explain that. When Paul is referring to the law, 
Specifically, he's talking about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which contains 613 commandments. And then by extension, it somewhat references the entirety of the Old Testament that contains many restrictions, many laws, many commandments, many injunctions, and many directives from God about how human beings should live. And here Paul said, only those who are aware of this truth only those who are aware of these restrictions will be judged by either their obedience or rebellion against them. And he goes on to say that when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things contained in the law, they are a law unto themselves. And their conscience, their conscience will either accuse them or excuse them in the day of judgment. In other words, those who have never heard about the law, and by extension, that also embraces the New Testament, which was not yet written, which was not yet compiled when these words were given. Those who have not heard the wonderful news of the new covenant yet live according to its precepts, will be judged according to their thought life, how they either resist or surrender to the influence of conscience. Now, what is conscience? Conscience is that inward sense of what is morally right and what is morally wrong, and it carries with it the desire to do what is morally right. It is a function of the human spirit. Now, prior to salvation, prior to being born again, the spirit is dead in trespasses and sins. It's like a barely burning ember where there used to be a raging fire of sensitivity to God in Adam and Eve. Relatively speaking, the conscience is dead, and yet there is a very small light that still remains. That light is not, I repeat, it is not the presence of God within every human being, but it is a gift from God to fallen humanity. It's the remaining part of the spirit that is still functional. The other two parts are communion with God and revelation from God. And these are non-functional in fallen, sinful human beings we're cut off from God. We cannot initiate a relationship just because we decide we want to be in relationship with God. Neither can we receive revelation from him by some mystical formula that we follow. Those two areas are shut down unless God decides to bridge the gap in some supernatural way. But all human beings have a barely functional conscience. And according to Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16, those who have never heard about the law, and by extension, those who have never heard the New Testament story of the Lord Jesus Christ, will be judged on the day of judgment according to their response to conscience, according to their thought life, how they reacted to that inward influence. We do know that there are two resurrections, and 
the first resurrection involves those who are dead in Christ and those who are believers who are alive at the coming of the Lord. And so the dead in Christ and living believers are judged acceptable to God and received by him eternally at that point. But the Bible also talks about another resurrection, a second resurrection, where men will be judged according to their works. Now, if there was not some kind of determination that would take place during that judgment, having that judgment would be absurd. And so there's got to be something that God will do at that point that requires a second judgment. Let me give you my own personal experience of how God cleaned up my life before I ever knew about salvation. I was a rock musician. I was a a partier. I almost died at the age of 18 because of the lifestyle I was involved in. I came very close to death. My soul felt like it was leaving my body, going out into a throbbing, dark, unknown, and speeding up at a great rate of speed as it passed from time into eternity. It was a very frightening experience. But I came back from that experience with a new set of values because I saw the brevity of life and the importance of finding that that has eternal value. I began searching. I cut all the evil out of my life that I could. From that point forward, I never dated, never went to movies, never watched television. I met an Indian guru. I got completely involved in Eastern religions. I was totally devoted to uh, the process of achieving enlightenment. I would spend from 3.30 in the morning till 5.30 every day in solitude. And then I would be constantly meditating and chanting mantras and reading scripture from various religions around the world, desperately seeking after God. My life was cleaner at that point than a lot of Christians I've met. So I believe God was working on me. God was moving on my heart, not enough to find him yet because the key element was missing, but it was still the Holy Spirit wooing me and drawing me and convicting me. Jesus said that after his departure, he said he would send the Holy Spirit who would convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And so the Holy Spirit came into my life, I believe, at that point and began reproving my heart over the evil behavior that I had been through. And I I believe there's millions of Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists and people of various faiths who are under this convicting influence. Is that enough? No, it's not enough. But it is a beginning point because Jesus did say he would send the Holy Spirit into the world to convict the world globally. There's a subliminal influence gripping the hearts of men and turning them away from sin. And so many people in the human race are experiencing this inward grieving over the failures in their life. But horribly, unfortunately, many of them turn away from sin only to turn into a false religious system because that's what they're culturally exposed to. Maybe they're not aware of Christianity. Maybe they're not aware of the story of Jesus. So in desperation, 
they turn to the Vedas, they turn to the Bhagavad Gita, they turn to the Quran or some other book that is claimed to be holy and begin to conform their lives to what appears to be a system of morality that they can escape to, that they can find solace and peace in, but it's not enough. However, I do believe that God will one day bring into consideration the fact that they turned from sin and tried to find ultimate reality. Now, if they die in a state of spiritual ignorance, is all hope gone? Well, before I fully answer that question, let me explain to you what happened between the cross and the resurrection. Psalm 16 verse 10 prophesied that the Messiah would go to the underworld after his death. And Peter quoted this in Acts chapter 2 verse 31. He talked about how David foresaw the resurrection of Christ and said that his soul was not left in hell, nor did his flesh see corruption. And the Greek word in Acts 2.31 translated hell is Hades, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. The King James Version uses the word hell. Now, Hades was a word for the underworld. And we know by the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, that in the underworld called Sheol in the Old Testament, there are two chambers. There's the realm of the wicked, where those who die in a state of rebellion against God depart to, and there is something called Abraham's bosom where those who lived according to the dictates of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would abide, waiting for the Messiah. But there was an impassable gulf between the two. Then there's a few scriptures, just a handful, that talk about what Jesus did after he died on the cross. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, Paul talked about how he first descended into the lower parts of the earth, and he did so in order to lead captivity captive. Now, what does that mean to lead captivity captive? Well, in order to understand that scripture, you have to balance it out with those scriptures that add to our information concerning this period of time in the existence of the Messiah. Apparently, that word captivity is a reference to the righteous that were held, quote-unquote, captive in the lower parts of the earth, in Abraham's bosom, awaiting the Messiah. And then Jesus came and led captivity captive. In other words, he released them from captivity. And we know that there was some kind of transition that must have taken place because he told the thief who died next to him on the cross something very marvelous. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word paradise is only found three times in the Bible, and it's identified by Paul as the third heaven, not the lower parts of the earth, but the third heaven. And so, there must have been a point where not only the repentant thief who died next to Jesus, 
but all of those who were awaiting the Messiah in the underworld were rescued and led from that place up to the third heaven. Now, can that happen? Can people get a second chance even that have gone into the realm of the wicked? Well, there's a lot to be said concerning this. We know that Jonah actually died and went to hell. Now, you go and read Jonah chapter 1 and chapter 2 very carefully, and you'll see that I'm right. Chapter 2 is all a prayer of gratitude. Eight of the ten verses are statements of gratitude to God for rescuing him from death's grip. In fact, uh, Jonah said these words. He said in verse 2 of chapter 2, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. The King James Version says, out of the belly of hell I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, apparently Jonah died. His soul went down into the underworld, but he cried out to God because he said, the earth with her bars was over me forever. That's also in chapter two of Jonah. But the soul was brought back to the body that was in the belly of the great fish, and then God brought him out of the fish up onto the beach when he vomited him up on dry ground, and he began to preach to the Ninevites. Now, Jesus verified this story as being an actuality, not a myth, when he said that even as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, in the lower parts of the earth, that the Son of Man would be in the grave three days and three nights. And so he likened what he would go through to what Jonah went through. I believe that Jesus preached the gospel. He preached the good news to those that were in the lower parts of the earth. Now, are there any other scriptures that deal with that? Absolutely. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 20, listen closely. It says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. And then in chapter 4 of the same book, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6, it says, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. And so, according to Peter's insights, Jesus, the Messiah, when he died on the cross, exited his body and went and preached the gospel to the dead. Now, that must have included both the righteous, the old covenant saints who were waiting in Abraham's bosom, and the wicked in the realm of torment, because the Bible said he preached to those who were disobedient in the days of Noah. So he must have given some kind of opportunity. We don't really know exactly what happened because there's so few scriptures that deal with it. 
But Isaiah 44 verse 23 says, Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, you lower parts of the earth, break forth into singing, you mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. So if the prophet Isaiah said, shout, you lower parts of the earth, maybe he was referencing this glorious event. We know very little about it, but we do know that salvation was offered in its entirety to those who had already died and who were existing in a spiritual state. We draw from that event the fact that sometimes God may deal with people who have already died and gone on. And that leads me to believe that there is a possibility if there's a good person, a Hindu, a Muslim, a Buddhist, someone of another faith, who responds positively to the conscience, to the conscience that in the second resurrection, they will be brought before God in order to give an account to their response to conscience. Now, does that mean that salvation can take place on the basis of works? Absolutely not, because no one can be saved on the basis of good works, and no one can be saved just on the basis of how they responded to conscience. However, if Jesus gave people an opportunity to receive him in the lower parts of the earth after he died, in between the cross and the resurrection, if he dealt with people that were already in the quote-unquote afterlife, then is it possible that he could do the same again for those who have never heard of him and yet have done their best to live according to conscience? I believe there is a possibility that that is something that will be provided for those that God includes in this extra opportunity. But we don't know for sure. We don't have enough scriptures to define it absolutely. However, that is my response to the new ager, to the universalist, to the person who says, what about those who have never heard the gospel, who throw out the whole idea of the Bible's plan of salvation on the basis of this seemingly unjust scenario? And when I share this as a possibility, it seems to calm their resistance and make them more open to the message of Jesus, that God is not unjust and that we can trust that he will never deal with people unjustly. Now, how is he going to do it? I don't really know for sure. The one thing I do know for sure is that if people receive Jesus as their savior, and trust in the blood that he shed on the cross to wash away their sins and receive him into their hearts and are born again and brought into the family of God, that does constitute salvation. The other is iffy. I don't know whether or not my interpretation of these scriptures is correct in the sight of heaven. It does provide what seems to be an opportunity down the road but all I know absolutely for certain is if you receive Jesus into your heart now, you will be saved. And that's the most important thing. 
Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.